0: What's the right age to teach your child to read? And why is it that some kids struggle? Welcome to Baby Lab, a babyology podcast produced in collaboration with Western Sydney University. So far, we've focused on how babies acquire language and learn to talk. In this episode, we're leaving kindergarten and we're heading to big school to tackle the challenges of learning to read. Is it possible to diagnose dyslexia before kids start school so that they never have to fall behind? The answers to all of that, coming up on Baby Lab. When my son and I are driving down High Street and there's shops with signs everywhere, he will now point to those signs full of excitement and he'll start shouting... Mummy, there's an R for Ruffy. That's what my name starts with. The excitement around recognising letters is palpable. We're just at the start of our reading journey. We've only just got the alphabet down pat, but I can see how much fun there is to come. Learning to read is a really major step in a child's development. Some kids pick it up almost intuitively, while for others it might be a real struggle right through their primary school years. But really, there is no avoiding it. We all have to learn.
1: If you think about how many times we have to read something throughout our days, we see things on billboards, we see things on our computers... Even on the television, there are written messages.
0: Dr Marina Kalashnikova is an early language researcher at the Marx Institute at Western Sydney University.
1: So reading has become an essential ability for a human to function in society, but also it is an essential ability to be able to acquire other knowledge. So even to learn maths, we need to know how to read in school. What we see in statistics around the world Difficulty with reading can lead to much more severe outcomes in the future that are not only poor grades in school, for example. Um, And because of this, it is important for us to understand what mechanisms allow children to acquire this very challenging ability.
0: Learning to read is a really important foundation. Professor Dennis Burnham from Western Sydney University says it's actually one of the most complex things that we teach little kids to do.
2: Reading is one of the hardest things we do. Learning to speak is easy. You put a child in a room full of people speaking, that child will learn to speak. If you put a child in a room full of books, they won't learn to read. Reading is a human construction and it's completely arbitrary. You know, we've got these squiggles on the page which represent sounds, and those sounds go together to make up words, which are more squiggles on the page, and those words are related to things in the real world. So there's a whole lot of associations that have to go on in reading, and kids have to get it, right? They have to get this idea.
0: Professor Burnham has spent decades researching early infant language development before recently starting to focus on how kids learn to read.
2: When kids start to learn to read, if when they hear variations on the sound but infants who are not at risk for dyslexia who are developing um you know okay developing normally they will put all of those but sounds into one bin one category they say oh they're all the book sounds and they'll have that ready ready for when they start to read they'll have all the but sounds in one category all the put sounds in another category they don't know that they've got these then somebody comes along and says, OK, we're going to learn the language, right? And we're going to learn to write and write. So then we have this symbol here, which is this straight line, a little bobble at the end, a but. And then the kid learns, ah, OK, yeah, all these sounds go in there. A child who will later become dyslexic, they say,
0: what the? This all goes back to research done on baby talk, also known as infant-directed speech, and how it's actually playing a really important role in teaching infants about language
2: infra speech is like, hello there, how are you? And she's looking so cute today, yes.
0: Professor Burnham says that this way of speaking to babies helps them to decode language. It can help them to figure out which sounds to focus on and where words start and finish.
2: It's like if you're listening to a foreign language that you've never heard before. If you're on the train listening to Cantonese or Slovakian or whatever, if you listen to that language and somebody says, which, where's the st- words start and end, you wouldn't have a clue because you don't know what the words are. So the baby has to work this out. If you think about this, it's really, really difficult. So the infant uses all the possible cues that they can, and the parents help them to do this unconsciously by the way in which they use infant-directed speech or parentese.
0: An important part of baby talk is the way adults hyperarticulate vowel and consonant sounds. This teaches babies what sounds they should be tuning into that are used in their language.
2: And infants start to hear that there are particular sounds they hear in their language around them and they don't hear other sounds. So what we do as infants, we narrow the focus of our attention to those sounds that are used most in our language. And this is efficient because if we focus on everything, then we'll, we, we have too much information.
0: Some languages, like Thai or Mandarin, use sounds that don't exist in English. For example, tonal shifts can make a huge difference in the meaning of a word. So babies learning those languages focus on speech sounds that English-speaking babies don't have to.
2: In English, you have bin and pin so they're very similar but and put is very similar except that the put sound has a bit of air coming out in thai they have three of those sounds they have bin bin and pin when english-speaking adults say the word bin males will say it differently to females if you're saying bin in a certain context i put the rubbish in the bin or i've been to so and so the b sound might be a little bit like that thai Sound a little bit more like that Thai sound in some circumstances, but what the infant learns to do is to put them all into one category. They say, Oh, they're all the b sounds, and they'll have that ready for when they start to read. Thai infants, however, they'll learn there's three categories, but Thai infants won't learn that there's a difference between ch and sh, right? Because they don't have it, they only have a j in their language, so they tune into their own language over time, and this happens for consonants, vowels, and in tone languages as well.
1: As we grow older and we start listening to more of our native language in our environment, our sensitivity to sounds that are used in our language increases and our sensitivity to sounds that are not part of our language decreases. So we become native speakers. Now, what is important to keep in mind is that this change already happens by the time a baby is about 10 months of age. So it is a very early ability, and it is considered one of the most fundamental abilities. But what we see in research is that this ability, so how much infant sensitivity to native sounds increases, actually predicts their later ability to read.
0: Dr Marina Kalashnikova and Professor Dennis Burnham conducted a study that found if infants are unable to distinguish and categorise these subtle speech sounds, then they're at risk of developing dyslexia down the track.
1: This connection exists because when we learn how to read, we actually establish a connection between a written symbol, which is a letter in a language like English, for example, and our mental representation of a speech sound.
2: Children who are at risk for dyslexia have certain different ways of understanding or processing the sounds that are coming in. They keep hearing the differences between sounds that are not useful in their own language. They don't tune into the language as well as kids who are not at risk of dyslexia.
0: One of the first things we teach kids when they're learning to read is the alphabet. We say to kids, here is the letter B. That letter represents the sound you hear in words like big, bridge, table bite or bait
2: infants who are not at risk for dyslexia who are developing they will put all of those book sounds into one bin one category they say all oh, they're all the book sounds and they'll have that ready ready for when they start to read then somebody comes along and says okay we're going to learn the language right and we're going to learn to read and write so then we have this symbol here which is this straight line and little bobble at the end a book and then the kid learns ah okay yeah all these sounds go in there a child who's will later become dyslexic, they say, what the? What do you mean? Like, there's this one symbol, but I've got lots of sounds going in there. How do I I deal with this? So this slows them down.
1: So if our representations of these speech sounds are accurate and they're stored in our lexicon, then it will be easier for us to connect them to letters written on a page. Uh, But again, we only learn the connections between letters and sounds when we start primary school. Whereas, as I said, we start learning about the sounds of our language between birth and 10 months of age. So we can study that very early on.
0: This could be really significant because it gives kids a chance to be diagnosed much earlier than they have been previously. If dyslexia is picked up in infancy rather than in the first couple of years at school, there's an opportunity for early intervention and the potential to avoid falling behind in the first few years.
3: You know, it's very difficult for a kid who can't read to then also go and do maths because they can't read the questions or to do science activities because they can't do, read the questions. Like, it is my job to make sure that they can do it, but I also have 25 children in the room.
0: Rosanna Ralston is a primary school teacher from Sydney.
3: So Year 1 and 2 kids are still learning to read, then Year 3 it's expected that you can read. I mean, if you can't read yet, it's very difficult, and then the gap gets wider quite quickly.
0: Classroom teachers know firsthand just how hard it can be for some kids learning to read. In her experience, kids with dyslexia might fall behind because of the delay in diagnosis and being able to get assistance for them at school.
3: I think one issue is definitely that there are so many different things it could be, so many. It could be a developmental thing and they'll be fine in six months. It could be a learning difficulty that they're going to have for the rest of their life. It could be a hearing problem. They might need glasses and no one's noticed yet, which could manifest in, you know, behaviour problems or not liking school or social problems or also just disinterest. And the kids that can't read can't access that information. And that's when they get frustrated and, you know upset or shy and not confident to answer questions and stuff because they really can't access that information.
0: Coming up after the break, we'll get some tips on how you can help your child learn to read. my little boy is obsessed with dinosaurs. The dinosaur books are the ones that we have to read every night before bedtime. And it seems to be a pretty common obsession. Lots of little kids love learning about dinosaurs or space, things that are beyond their world. Learning to read opens up a child's world. It allows them to explore different countries in adventure stories and to learn about things they haven't seen or experienced yet. But there's all this competition and disagreement about the right age to start teaching our kids to read. But is there a right age for children to start learning?
4: I think every child is really unique. Every child is different. It really depends on the context and the child's learning abilities and also the environment that the child is situated.
0: Tree Beng Lee is an assistant professor at Western Sydney University.
4: in my own opinion, I would think that you need to start the kid reading as soon as they are comfortable. As soon as they are able to recognise um, colours, uh, simple words, you know, you get them to start reading. And that will build the habit in them because a lot of kids that don't read these days. Now, the digital world has created such an impact on every single person, especially little kids, especially teenagers. They don't read anymore. And it's quite unfortunate because it actually helped a person to build a lot of creativity and critical thinking. Now it gives people the time and opportunity to slow down. And that's what we need. When you pause and you reflect, you actually think about what have I read? What is valuable in the book? You know, you know, is it something that I will want to remember? But a lot of time when it comes to digital devices, when a kid is actually flipping information, uh, looking for information so quickly, where does the kid find time to actually pause and think? You know, you lose that very, very valuable part of what we call reflection.
0: So what can parents do to help their kids learn to read? Her top three tips are really quite simple.
4: The first thing is to model the process. You know, you can't expect your kids to be having an interest in reading when you don't have an interest in reading. So the first thing to do is to model the process. Pick up a book that will interest you and start to read. My, my sister, that was about 10 years ago, when her two kids were pretty young, and she was, telling, she was complaining to me one day and said that they don't want to read. They only want to play games, watch TV. I said, Because you don't read. (laughs) I said, you need to start reading, you know, pick up a book and read. And she did. She listened to my advice. So she actually picked books that she wants to read. And you know what? Amazingly, the two kids, the two daughters started to model the process because they, they saw the mother reading. They start to pick up books to read. Until this day the two kids autopilot they don't need the parents to actually um, monitor them you know ask them to read ask them to study they don't need because they actually built the habit in them already so that's one thing that you need to do as a parent model the process the second thing to do is to actually help the kids to understand the value of reading and relate that to their everyday life and what it means is that the kid must understand that things that he or she is learning has got a meaning in his everyday life. For instance, when you read a piece of news, read it together with the kid, You know, such as um, we have a water crisis in our country. You know, How is it going to affect you as an individual, as a teenager? Start to have that sort of conversation and then encourage the kid to read more about it. The, the hidden lesson here is to ensure that the kid can actually autopilot. The kid do, do not need you to sit with them and read with them anymore. You, you are inspiring the kid to want to read more on their own. And that's, that is what we call self-directed learning. Um, the third thing is that um, helping the kids to, uh, to critically look at things. So it's important for the parents to read with the kids and making sure that the kids, from the reading, they are able to see that their different opinions, you know, help the kids to build that sort of critical thinking.
0: So what about those online teaching apps and learning-to-read programs that are marketed to parents? Do they work?
4: Certainly. Some of these apps are quite powerful, but my take is that anything that you want to give it to the kids, you yourself have to test it out first. Play with it first before you actually give it giving it to the kid? Because you never know. A a commercial product looks very good at at the onset, but when you start to look into it, you, you might find that it has got no value.
0: Tree Beng Lee says that parents really do need to understand the limitations of these digital apps before they start using them.
4: You know, a lot of commercial products, they actually... Um, allow students to do mathematics questions or literacy questions, you know, without helping the kids to build reasoning. Such as, if I click answer A, wrong, do it again. Answer B, wrong, do it again. What sort of meaning is that? I don't learn anything from that. I mean, reading is not just reading the text. The affection part is not there. The emotional part is not there. Especially when kids at the very tender age They do need someone to sit with them, to make them feel comfortable to read with them and to model the process. And how is the the app going to help them with that? It can't. It can never replace it. It is important for the parents to read with the kid.
0: Baby Lab is a babyology podcast produced in collaboration with Western Sydney University. If you enjoyed this episode and maybe you know some other curious parents who might be interested, please let them know. I'm Jamila Rizvi. Until next time, see you then.
4: The Baby Lab team would love to hear from you. In the final episode of this podcast series, we'll be answering your questions. Have you ever stared at your baby late at night and wondered what on earth is going on inside that tiny head of theirs? Do you have a burning science question about your baby or babies in general? Email babylab at babyology.com.au and stay subscribed for the final episode eight, where your questions will be answered by an expert.